three uh, Sundays, uh, God Provides, hashtag God Provides. What's it all about? In February 2008, we opened what became known as the Church Centre. Uh, there on my left, your right, you came through it as you came in this morning. Uh, and that building on the side of this building has transformed our ability to be an open seven days uh, a week community with bustling activities through each of those days. That's what was there before we started to uh, build a wasteland on which we parked our cars and on which at the back of we placed a temporary hut at the end of the First World War in order just for a brief moment to house the beginners. That hut stayed there for 100 years and the beginners that went through that uh, changed also in that 100 year period. In a few months, I'll tell a little bit of the story that got us from there to there. Uh, But the reason that we are thinking like this for this short window at the beginning of Lent is that we wanted to do exactly what I'm going to do today, to retell the story, because it's a story of God's activity among us. It's the story of God's faithfulness. It's the story of the way God provides, sometimes in uh, ways that we haven't imagined or thought about. Also because I want to give all of us an opportunity to invest or to reinvest in these buildings that serve us so well and so readily. And for us to think about our giving in the light of God's great provision for us. You can use the link uh, forward slash God provides to catch up on everything that I talked about uh, last week or to revisit this week or next week. Additionally though, as you know, there is another motivation. It costs us 1.1 million to build the church uh, centre and uh, we have financed that almost entirely by our own or from within our own community. A few external grants of uh, a few thousand pounds here and there. We did sell a property that raised £120,000, but overwhelmingly it's been the generosity and support of the church community here, which leaves us in a position unbelievably of just £30,000 left to pay. And it's our invitation to one another next Sunday, Sunday the 8th of March, when we'll hold a gift day in order, our hope is, our desire, that we might clear off that remaining £30,000 and draw at least financially a line under this particular season that we've travelled in and through as a church. On your way in, you were given, I hope, one of these. Anybody given one of these? And I hope you'll make sure you take one home as you go. And I'm afraid that on the back are loads of words. And when I see loads of words, I just go, oh, come on. Loads of words. But all you have to do is write your name, tick a couple of boxes, and add a number. It's as simple as that. So in all the words, what you're looking for is where your name goes, where the amount goes, and just the box you need to tick. 
So don't be put off by all the words. I'd invite you to read them and make sure you understand what you're ticking. Um, but it's a fairly short process to complete the response. But it might mean a longer process this week, if you haven't been doing it already, to think prayerfully about how you might respond. I'm not entirely sure how we'll do it next Sunday, but I think what we'll probably do is in our time of worship in, in the morning, as part of that opening uh, uh, time when we're all together as a family, there'll be opportunity to come and to offer your response card to offer your gift in that way. So please come next week with that card ready um, to go. This morning then, uh, the miracles of the church centre. The story in Exodus that uh, Emma read some moments ago reminds us of the way God provided for his people when they were in a desert place. They were journeying from one to another and found themselves in the wilderness. And God provided for them exactly what they needed. If you look at verse uh, 18 of the chapter, verse uh, 18 of chapter 16. That every morning God provided the food that they would need for that day. And when they had gathered it each morning, no one found they had too much. No one found they had too little. They had exactly as much as they needed. God's provision wasn't just that they would have what they needed. God's provision was also that they would have it when they needed it. They would need fresh bread, fresh nourishment, fresh resource each day. And so each day they would go out in the morning and there it was, freshly baked, freshly prepared from God himself. And so Moses said, look, don't keep any for the next day, because what God's giving you today is as much as you need for now. Now that's an important faith lesson for all of us, isn't it? And when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray, give us today our daily bread. Not give me today all I need for this week, or this month, or this year. Give me what I need for now. Why? Because more than anything else, God wants to teach them a lesson he longs and has been teaching us. To trust him. To trust him. And so verse 20, those who were struggling with it, some of them paid no attention to it. And they kept part of it until morning in their tent. And it was full of maggots and began to smell. And Father God in heaven gave a little chuckle. Doesn't say that. But it wouldn't fly me. We do our bit. Go out and gather. God does his bit in providing our daily needs. It's a partnership of trust. As they learn to trust God for what he would provide, so his provision would be made perfect among them. But we struggle with the partnership. We struggle to learn to trust. So much so that on the the seventh day, they didn't need to go out. Because on the sixth day, God would provide enough, just not just for the sixth day, but for the seventh day. And on that day, whatever they kept left over was perfectly fresh and ready to eat on the seventh day. Because God's provision is miraculous. That's how he provides. 
It's not limited by the normal understanding of the way the universe works. But some were still slow to trust. And on the seventh day, like right numpties, they went out together again. <coughs> Awkward. I was just taking a walk. <laughs> Don't say that either, but it should. Because all over that desert experience, and all over the journey of us building the church centre, is a question, a challenge, even a demand, a charge. Will you trust me? And God says that to us each and every day. For me personally, and for us collectively, it was a journey of trust. We were in a desert place as a church in terms of understanding what we should do with our buildings. For a long time, we had known, I'm talking 30 years ago, 25 years ago, for a long time we had known we had to do something. We had this building, this shell, and we had the, uh, the, the Victorian halls up that face on Burlington Road that almost, or most of you will, will know, some of you might not, that were radically remodeled inside in the early 70s. But we knew that wasn't enough. We, we knew we would have to do something to take our mission and ministry forward. But we were in a desert place because we couldn't work out what to do. And there were all kinds of different plans as to what we should do. Should we cut this building in half, put a false flooring where the balcony is, have the church upstairs and, and create a rabbit warren of rooms downstairs? Should we remodel there but then our worship was still going on here? And, and, and sometimes when you're wrestling with things, you can go around in circles with every idea kind of has some aspect of truth about it, but some aspect of, oh, this doesn't feel right. We had a few false starts as a church. We had a plan to create some housing in the old walls and we raised a little bit of money, but somehow it never got traction uh, among us. And then 20 years ago, you gave me a job and I was vowing never to do a building project. <laughs> so we were stuffed, really. And the reason I didn't want to do a building project was a lot of my contemporaries, my colleagues, have got themselves lost in a building project. Uh, and, and the whole church gets involved in a massive building project and the new building is built. But it's the same old, pretty not working sort of community church underneath. Sad times. Brand new building in the same old family. Sad times. And so there wasn't a lot going for us in that sense. In terms of what we should do with the buildings. But God was beginning to stir us from this desert place. God was beginning to paint a picture of how we might find our way out of the particular wilderness in which we found ourselves. And God would indeed provide, and sometimes that provision would be indeed miraculous. I remember a church meeting uh, up in the old halls very early on, mid-July, boiling hot, windows all open. We gathered in groups to pray, and then I led us singing in the hymn, Father, hear the prayer we offer. Not for ease that prayer shall be, but for strength that we may ever live our lives courageously. Not forever in green pastures do we ask our way to be, but by steep and rugged pathways would we seek you fearlessly. Be our strength, 
in our weakness, in our wanderings beyond God, through endeavor, failure, danger, Father, be there at our suffering. And I remember thinking, believing in my heart that we were onto something, I could begin to see what God was leading us into. And being overwhelmed by the reality that if God didn't hear our prayer, we were stuffed. Whatever he might be leading us into. And a partnership grew in my heart, in our lives, that was not too dissimilar to when they built the wall in Nehemiah's day. They built the wall, they said that you have to understand that this is something that God's done. God has made this happen, but we did work with all of our hearts. And we also prayed with all of our hearts. And that combination of, of God, you have to do something, while we beaver away, was what set the foundations for the journey. We were learning about the partnership of trust. We, we were learning that if we were going to move forward, then we would need to go out and do some gathering. But there would be moments when we would just stand in awe, because the manna every day would be a miracle. And then sometimes it would be like a double miracle, because on the sixth day there'd be twice as much, and, and you go, wow, this is God that's doing this. This is God that's making it possible. And just like in Nehemiah's day, there were all the people with the doubts and the uncertainties, all the mockers and those with, I mean, we didn't need anyone from outside to do that. In our hearts, we were often, in my heart, often struggling with unbelief. In my heart, often, is this really what God's calling us to do? But we set ourselves <coughs> to activity, working with our hearts, and to pray. And the first miracle is this, that a clear vision began to emerge. It was then I got really hot under the collar because I felt the inevitable call that we were about to embark on a building project. And I'd rather put my head in an oven, frankly, than do that. The desert place of ideas was giving way to a clarity of vision. It's a very worrying moment in your faith journey. As many of you will know. We didn't know how much. People had chucked around earlier in the journey that we needed 450,000 to build the church centre. To which we said, we'll never do that. That's way too much. Let's get a flat pack from Ikea and see if it's cheaper. We needed to raise this impossible sum of money. So with a clear vision, we held our first gift day, which led to the second miracle. We invited people to either give a one-off gift, or to pledge over a period of time to give, and on that day, over £200,000 was pledged. And I was gobsmacked. I know you're taking it in your stride, because God does that every day in your world. But that was a surprise to me. And a further confirmation that God might be in this suddenly. We were euphoric 
in a kind of Christian sort of way. (laughs) And then, at the top of the mountain, that we could achieve anything after a gift day like that, planning permission was flatly refused. I remember where I was when I took the call, just like you remember where you were when JFK was shot, if you're old enough, or when Diana died. I was at Centre Park spending the 200,000. <laughs> no, I was at Centre Park, but I wasn't spending the 200,000. It was our first real choice. Is God in this journey or not? How do we understand the clear vision, the 200 grand gift day, and then this, this nonsense when they said, you cannot possibly build a building on that site because everyone, even people the other side of the world are finding a reason to object. (laughs) You'll never get planning permission to build it there. But what was God saying? Should we listen to the doubts, the uncertainty? Should we play it safe? Should we forget about it? Should we put our euphoria back in its box, which wouldn't have been hard to be perfectly honest. But as a community, we agreed to keep going, to keep giving of our hearts and to keep praying. For months, it all went quiet. And with a planning consultant, kind of he and I went underground for about 12 months. And beavered away with all kinds of conversations in all kinds of places. And then it came to resubmit our remodeled, better, in my opinion, plans than we had on the table in the first place. This time, I knew where I was going to be when that planning permission decision was being made. I was going to see the whites of their eyes. (laughs) And it went through. And we got a better building. And God answered our prayers. And the time came for us to go out to tender. The building didn't have a price tag. And if you've ever been in a jeweler's shop and you can't find the price tag, you know the deal. You cannot afford it. Uh, And then we did all due diligence, sent it out for tender. And wow. What happened next was for me the miracle of faith. Because when the price came back, we ran for oxygen. And I learned what it was to lead a whole community that was hyperventilating. It was like we were out of our minds. Is this really what God wants? Yes. Are you sure? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. The clear vision, the the gift there, all the wrestling and planning permission, the prayers, the faith, then planning permission, now now this. I mean, they might as well have said it was, you know, a rocket to the moon type of cost for all we thought we had, for all we thought our five loaves and two fish. See what I did there? Could go around. It's a miracle at that stage that we kept going. The voice of doubt was palpable. You're having a laugh. And I think we were. Have you lost your mind? Yes, we probably have. But we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And then the killer blow. The judgment was made. 
that we would have to pay VAT, that we didn't think we would, which would put an extra 150 to 200,000 on the price. And whatever the price, that was it, as far as I was concerned. We were dead in the water. Shall we give up? Shall we start again with something different? But what about the gift day, the planning, the growth? The... Where's God in this? I don't know. This is a wilderness of another kind. And again, God was in the whisper. Will you trust me? Can you look back and see how far I've taken you and trust me to take you away that you cannot clearly see yet? Will you trust me? So we walked and we prayed, just like in Nehemiah's day, and we put our hand to the plow to try and overturn the VAT ruling that we thought was unfair, unforeseen, and unjust. With just two working days before the High Court Tribunal, we put 10,000 pounds into this. It was make or break. If we lost it, it was over. We would go back to Centre Parks and we'd have a nice couple of days, but that would have been it. For just two days, customs and excise ruled in our favour, just as the barristers had ruined their wigs. And we never went to that tribunal. And we saw the miracle of the VAT. And the crunch came. You take little steps, don't you? But at the end of the day, you have to sign on the dotted line that you're committing to it. You have to call in the diggers. You have to say, yes, we're going to go for this now. We didn't have enough money. Contrary to popular belief, you can't buy when you don't have enough money. I know some people seem to manage that all the time. <laughs> that wasn't quite the way we were going to do it. The VAT debacle had cost us valuable time. Building prices were rising, and the building prices were rising faster than the money we were raising. For a while, we'd been unable to even close the gap. We'd come this way so far, but still it felt like it was eluding us. In the 1980s, or around 1980, I would follow the highs and lows of the middle distance runners, people like Seb Coe and Steve Ovett. But I remember being in a pub in West Wales watching them uh, in, the, in the Olympic finals. And Seb Coe was trying uh, to hold on to the 1500 and 800 world records at one time. And his dad was his coach. And he would spend months building up to the race at the right altitude, the right weather conditions that everyone thought and everyone believed uh, would be perfect for him to smash the world record. And every moment of every day he'd spend looking towards that race. And he would run that race. And I remember he went into the final bend and his dad was there on the corner cheering him on. He gave everything he's got to the final finish. Looked up too far, a hundredth of a second, too slow. And it was all over. I remember feeling for a moment just a, uh, an inkling of the agony of this man. He'd be on all this journey, given all he'd got, and it was over. And in those moments, we felt like that as a community. Have we come this far for it all to be over? Was it all for nothing? Like Captain Scott, you get to Antarctic and discover, in the end, it was all for nothing. 
What about the gift day and the planning and the VAT and all the things that we've seen along the way? So I remember a night when we were in the old halls, a few of us. What was the crash room? Postman Pat and Zippy on the wall. Remember that? That's how they built it in the 1800s, yeah? And I'm looking at Zippy and I'm thinking, come on, say something, man. Do you know, what am I going to do? A dark November night, go home and say, hey, it's all over. We're stuffed. And we thought and we prayed and we talked. I remember just beginning to reflect on that verse with a woman who poured out the oil all over Jesus' feet and everyone was going, oh, what's that all about? And at the end, the footnote says, she did what she could. That's it. That's it. That's what God's asking. Let's take the next step and do what we can. Of course, we can't do what we can't do, so we can only do what we can. So we hatched a plan to build the church center, just the ground floor, with the shell on top. You know, like a Middle Eastern house waiting for the next generation to inhabit it. And I thought, yeah, let's leave the problem for our kids to pay for and sort out. Just leave it there as an icon. It wasn't a great idea, really, on one level. If we could never finish it, how ridiculous would that look? Would having just the ground floor and all the investment we'd made but nothing else frustrate rather than cause our purpose to flourish? But there was this nag, this nagging voice that we'd come to know. Do it. Doesn't make much sense, but do it. And so after a period of consultation and prayer at the beginning of January 2006, we said overwhelmingly, let's do it. It was the miracle of keeping going. Let's do what we can. And then well into the build and just weeks before the point of no return and just weeks before we couldn't go on to complete the second and third floor even if we wanted to, we crunched the numbers and we prayed some more and we crunched the numbers again and louder and clearer than ever we heard the voice, Burlington, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And we knew there was only one choice and we signed for the whole building and the whole thing got built. And that, for me, was the miracle of the final decision. In a moment or two's time, I'm going to talk about what happened next. Because the last time I've shared some of those things with you was in February 2008, when we opened the church centre. That was the day we were living, so of course there was no other story. But there's more to say. And in a moment or two, I'll share that with you. But before I do that, Margaret's going to come, Margaret Smith. Because when we were journeying as a, as a church and seeing God bless us in numerous ways, God was also at work in our personal lives. God was also teaching us personally. And Margaret's going to share just one of perhaps dozens and dozens of stories that many of us could come and share. Well, way back when we were raising the money uh, to build the church centre, we held several craft fairs. Um, It was just a small way of doing this. I was doing a lot of watercolour painting at the time, 
And I made up my mind that I would give all the money for all the paintings I did to the church centre. Um, and um, I, I sold, sold them, uh, quite a lot of them, and raised quite a lot of cash. There was, however, one painting that I did that I really loved. I, I had some special affinity for this painting. I just didn't w- really want to get rid of it. I, I wanted to keep it. But I knew I had promised God that I would give all of my paintings, all of the money, to him. So I put it with the rest, and we, uh, you know, went to the fair. And it was sold, that particular one was sold immediately the church centre opened. Now, I've got to be honest here, I had put a high price on that painting, (laughs) thinking nobody would buy it. (laughs) But Alan Gregory, a very dear member of our church here, he had in his garden uh, in the Isle of Wight on his holiday home a squirrel, and um, he had called this squirrel Cyril, <laughs> and that was the name I'd put on my painting, Cyril the Squirrel, and he desperately wanted this painting, and I thought, he said, how much do you want for it? And I told him, I think it was 80 or 90 pounds, which was a terrific amount of money, really, for a painting that I'd done. Um, And um, right, he said, so he bought it. And I thought, oh, it's, he said, I'm taking it to the Isle of Wight. And I thought, oh, I'll never see that again, then will I? So, but never mind, I'd done what God asked me. So uh, I said goodbye (laughs) to it. Anyway, a few years later, Alan died. He had been very ill with cancer, and um, uh, he passed away. And I remember thinking, I wonder what will happen to that painting. I'll probably go in a, um, you know, charity shop or something, but never mind. Um, So a few weeks later... The lady who was clearing out his um, home on the Isle of Wight, who uh, a friend of his, a friend of his, um, came up to me in the church centre, which had been built by then, of course, and she said, um, "Amongst Alan's uh, uh, goods and things on the Isle of Wight, I found two paintings that you did. I wondered if you would like them back." <laughs> and I thought, well, I could hardly believe it. Honestly, I just said, wow. I could hardly believe it. And I really believe that this was God showing me uh, that if I honored him in any promise I made to him, 
that he would honour me. And now the picture is, is hanging on my wall and I can see it every day. And I know it's a silly little story, but I just wanted to share it with you. And, oh, by the way, I still have a few paintings. <laughs> if anybody would like to buy one for the gift day, they're welcome. <laughs> Sammy the seal, Cyril the squirrel. Great. The real miracle still awaited us. Because the very issue that made me not want to do a building project in the first place was still among us. Because what we knew more than anything is that we could so easily as God's ordinary yet loved and chosen people, we could so easily have built a building and for the story to end there. But the real miracle still awaited us because what we were committed to was not a hotel for our comfort, but a hospital for those who are sick and hurting. What we longed to build was not a yacht club full of exclusive member benefits, but a rescue centre where people would be rescued and introduced to the rescuer of all, Jesus himself. So easy for us to have built a mansion for our own safety and security, and yet we knew we needed a mission station full of risk and adventure. So which would it turn out to be? Fulfilling that vision would be greater and harder and take more levels of risk and greater levels of commitment than anything we'd seen before in our journey with bricks and mortar. Would we give of ourselves so much more than we had already? The miracle of the real vision has been our story since. What's happened to us as a community since then has been, in my opinion, unbelievable. We needed that building... But more, we needed people who would embody the vision that God has given us. And on Sunday the 16th of December 2007, so just a couple of months before we were officially opening the church centre, it was a Sunday morning, we were in the middle of a series called The Christmas Risk, and at the end of the service, we were going to go into the church centre for the very first time. Uh, most of us had never been inside at that point. And we would go through that doors for the very first moment. And in the middle of that series, I talked about the way Christmas was all about the risk that God took in order to reach us. And how what God was calling us to was to take a risk like we had never seen before. To step out of our own comfort and security and to intentionally raise the level of risk in order to reach lost people. And I showed a short film called Lost at Sea. And I'll put it on my blog again, uh, perhaps today. 
a prophetic word for the church. That what we were about to enter would and should never be a cruise liner, but a rescue station. Out of which trained rescuers would be sent, and back people needing rescue would be brought. And this community has seen God perform an amazing, whoa, (laughs) an amazing miracle in that regard. Things that never would have happened if the building had not had been there. And this little season has forced me to think and reminisce and reflect on so many things about that journey. So many ideas that we had, that had we achieved them, the mission that we now see would never have been possible. We couldn't see that then. But there is one who sees the end as well as the beginning of the story. And by God's grace, the miracle of that real vision is unfolding before our very eyes. There are future plans and future seasons that God has for us. This is a phase of the journey. And I sense with all my heart that time is right to draw, at least financially, the phase of the church centre in the way that we've known it and talked about it to a conclusion. Not because it's the end of the story, but because it's the beginning. Not because it's all over, but because the next thing for us to embrace, the ongoing vision, the heart to which God has called us, is always growing day by day. In one sense, what happens with that card that you've got is neither here nor there. I've lost mine already. It's neither here nor there because God will provide. That's what he does. But as we were thinking about in Malachi last week, somehow when God asks something of me in that process, it's not about the money. But it is about what he wants to do in my heart. It's about what he wants to teach me. And it's my belief that as a community, we are able to trust God for greater things because we trusted him in the smaller things. And step by step, our ability to trust, our faith muscles grow. And if nothing else, maybe this series... It's a time for us to stop, to give thanks, to see how our faith muscle has grown and to invest a little more that it might grow a little stronger for the next season. Let's pray together.